can start with our opening our Bibles to uh, the book of Exodus. And doesn't Jeremy do a good job? Yeah. Are we hiring Jeremy or what? I'm going to start Jeremy on a, on a stipend of a uh, dollar a week. What is that? <laughs> no, you know, I always had this thought that the young, the young ones are the ones that are the most tech savvy, aren't they? Yes. So I always thought, let's get a guy that's at the age of, at a young age, and just start him off early. So let's, start, let's open in our Bibles to Exodus, the book of Exodus. And I'm just really excited in a quiet way in my heart of what the Lord's going to do here. Um, and just to like, just at the outset, I'm not really worried about how many people come and how many people don't come. Because it's really God's work. And Jesus said, if there's two or more gathered in my name, then there I'm in the midst. Jesus had a church. Jesus had a mega church. Do you know that Jesus had a mega church at one point? In John chapter 5, when he multiplied all the bread and the fishes, he had like, uh, he fed the 5,000. Now we know that there's 5,000, but there was probably more than 5,000 because it says in the scriptures that 5,000 men but, you know, men are just, only men, not only men were following Jesus, there were men and their wives and their families. So I say at least multiply that by three, and you're going to have a more of an accurate number of how many people were there. So between 15,000 and 20,000 people were fed. I mean, that's a huge group of people, even in his time. I mean, when you look at a town like Capernaum, was maybe just a maybe just a just a couple thousand people maybe it's a very it was a very small town and so when you think of that amazing miracle and all of the people that started following Jesus it was because of the bread and the fishes and it's I heard it said this week and I thought it was said very well that Christianity is not like the NFL or the uh, come on in join us. Christianity is not like the NFL or, or the NBA because in the NFL and the NBA you have these very well-known personalities and some of these guys um, like Brian said the other day he kind of alluded that okay I can be just as great without my team and um, Tom Brady has sometimes that well, he's, a, he's a team player but uh, I think but it can get like sometimes that we can become very oriented to personalities and to response. So Jesus in John chapter 5 has this mega church, and then in John chapter 6 he preaches one message, and everybody leaves. And this is the Son of God, you know, this is Jesus, the Son of God. And so what happens is, is that Jesus preaches one message, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you cannot have any part in me. Now think about that. Sometimes we hear the words of Jesus. and This is not my message this morning, but I just want to make a point. Sometimes we can hear the words of Jesus and we can kind of like in our own mind do like what the, the King James translators did sometimes. Kind of tone it down and use different words like, you know, less, less um, dramatic words. And we want to just tone it down and we want to just say, you know, uh, kind of use other words that are more politically correct. But Jesus, actually what Jesus said was, if you drink my blood and eat my flesh, then you can be my disciple. And what happens is, is that um, we, we can 
tone down what Jesus is saying. And when he said that, and especially in the Jewish mindset, that sounded like cannibalism. Now, blood for the Jewish mindset was very, very sacred. It was very, very holy. It was not something to joke about or to take lightly. So what Jesus is really doing here is it was one of the most offensive things that Jesus could have said. Now, Judas, who betrayed Jesus later, sometimes had a, uh, a way of just counseling Jesus as his PR guy. Like, Jesus said, well, you know, if you really want to have a lot of followers, you may not want to be saying those kind of things, Jesus. You want to tone it down a little bit. But so Jesus is saying here is that for him, he wanted disciples. He wanted discipleship. He wanted people that were following him, not in a behavioral modification program or a performance program like we talked about last week. We talked about the curse of performancism. Remember when Cain brought that offering and it was rejected? And why did God reject Cain's offering? Because it was something that he produced himself. It was the best of his own production. God is not looking for our own production. God is looking for us to do what Abel did. Abel brought a lamb, didn't he? And this lamb, what did the lamb represent? Easy question. Son of God. Son of God, right? The lamb of God, right? So Jesus, God is not looking for anything in our life that we can produce in our own righteousness. He's looking for the lamb himself. And so when we come to God and say, God, I have nothing to produce, or I have a lot I can produce. I can put on a huge production, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to present Jesus today. And, uh, and we said this last week, that some of us are very high achievers. And I think in my family, the Moore family, um, that is the case. There's a lot of achievement going on in the Moore family. You know, like, like uh, if you, my brother, Pastor Jason, and I talk about this sometimes, and in my family genetics, I think there's a lot of like achievement and production. But God doesn't, God first before production, he wants worship. And he wants us to understand our relationship with him. Now, this is what I want to focus on this morning. And I grew up in a very popular denomination that is very popular in Texas. And this denomination was a good denomination and it was awesome. And I learned a lot. And that's where I found Christ. <clears throat> but I discovered that, at least in the church that I was going to, and maybe not all churches are like this, but the message I was hearing was more of an emphasis, yes, you're saved by grace, but you have to keep yourself, and you have to keep yourself in your own power. And this produces two kinds of people. This produces self-righteousness, or it produces failures, people that just can't keep up with it that can't just can't keep up with the performance of Christianity. And we see this here. Um, and, and for me, I was, as a teenager, I was just really struggling with sin and, like, temptation. And it was unbelievable, like, you know. And that doesn't go away when you get older, by the way. It just, I think adults learn how to manage their sin instead of taking it to the cross. You know, we do a better job being religious. So, but I think as a teenager... I was going to a church before I came to um, the church I'm in now, Greater Grace, and I was like, God, what does it mean that the cross gives us victory over sin? I just could not get the mechanics of it. You know, I couldn't understand what that meant. And I began to understand, the more. I read this whole book, uh, I think it was by Wilkerson, about spiritual schizophrenia, like John chapter of Romans chapter 7, Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I do. 
and the things that I should do, I don't do. And so I read that whole book thinking, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find victory. And then at the end of the book, there was just one sentence about victory at the cross. And still I didn't have this understanding. But what was the dawning for me was when I went to Bible school and I heard the message of the grace of God, the finished work that it is finished. And sometimes when people hear that message, it is finished, they may say, well, you guys teach uh, grace and that means everybody can go out and sin the way they want to live. That's not the case. If we're saved by grace, if we're saved by grace, then grace is going to keep us. And if we deviate from that path of grace, God is going to just chastise our, our behind right back into the path of grace. Why? Because God loves us and he cherishes us and he wants fellowship with us and he desires us. And Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, what did they do? God came in after them, didn't he? Did Adam and Eve look for God in the garden after they sinned? No. Did they repent? No. Did they come back to God at the altar and say, God, I have sinned, and this is what we did wrong, and I repent, and I promise never to do that again. No. God came after Adam and Eve. And that really brings us a very important point, that that without the grace of God, without understanding the nature of God, there's no way anything's going to ever change in our life. It's just, we can just kind of change our behavior, act better, but the human heart is still the same. And we're still going to be facing those battles that we face. And so here's Israel in Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 19. Now, what do we know about Exodus chapter 19? What's that chapter there? What's that chapter about Exodus chapter 19? What happens in Exodus chapter 19? Do you know? The Ten Commandments. Yeah. Isn't it when God gave those big Ten Commandments to Israel, right? Those two big stones with all the commandments on it. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And I remember in Sunday school, just we had to memorize those. We had to memorize these other things to get our first Bible. To get my first Bible, I had to work so hard. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but it was hard. I mean, I had to do all this memorization. Did you guys have to do that or not? Did they just give it to you? Okay. We had to work. We had to work so hard. I had to learn... I learned psalm, all these psalms. We have to be able to repeat it. And our Sunday school teachers said that we're going, to have Sunday, we're going to have Bible distribution Sunday where everyone in the Sunday school is going to get their own personal Bible signed by the pastor. And so what we were supposed to do is get up and recite all of these verses and the Ten Commandments were part of them. And I was just like thinking, I'm never going to remember all of this. I'm just not going to remember all of this. So thank God we, had, we just were able to do it as a group. We just recited all these things as a group. And when I didn't know, I could just kind of mumble in the background or look down. <laughs> and so I got my Bible. Everyone had in their Bible a Bible verse written by the pastor. And uh, everyone was excited to know, what did the pastor write in their Bible? And I thought, what did the pastor write in my Bible? So I opened to the front page, and it was this verse. And I'll never forget, it was Proverbs 16. And it says, there's a way that it seems right unto a man, but that way is unto death. I thought, wow, it's not a great verse from my pastor. Like, that's not really encouraging me. That doesn't encourage me to trust God. It doesn't encourage me to look forward to my future. But actually, that verse has stuck with me all of my life because it's a verse that means that there's a way that seems right to us in our own opinion, and we can sit down and evaluate everything and come to a conclusion and say, this is the right way, but never really hear from God. Is this God's will? And this is where Israel was at in Exodus chapter 19, 
they are, and this, follow me with this, Israel, what did Israel do? What did Israel have, what has Israel just been through? Okay. Um, three months earlier, they have gone through the Red Sea. It was three months it took them to get to this Mount Sinai. And actually the name of Sinai actually has, there's another name for the same mountain. It's called Horeb. And that means a very dry, arid place. No water, no refreshment, uh, no growth. It's just a place of death, a place of dryness. Uh, Nothing was growing there. It was just a very dead place. It was like an arid desert location. It was very, very hot. And so Israel is here after three months being on the road through the desert. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They have been delivered from Egypt. They'd seen the ten plagues in Egypt. And it's three months later. And I think three months is kind of like a good cool-off time where things start to just cool off. You start to cool off from, from the excitement of things and, and, the, and uh, the, the impression and the, the, uh, the, the impact and so here they are at Mount Sinai, and God begins to talk to them. Now, Exodus 19 is, and Exodus 20 is the famous verses where the commandments come, and we know those verses, but what happens before God gives the commandments is so critical, and I want you guys to remember this. Think of this. God starts speaking to Israel just before he gives the commandments, and what are they? Listen to this conversation God has with Israel. So Moses is talking to God on Sinai. By the way, Sinai is a very special place for Moses. Do you know why? This is the second time he's been at Sinai. Do you know that? The first time was when he was in the backside of the desert, lost in his calling as a man, just wandering around the desert, not knowing what God wants him to do. Has a family, lives in the desert, is a shepherd in the backside of the desert for 40 years. And now God brings him back here, This is where Moses met God, and this is where he's going to bring his people to meet God. He's bringing his people there now, and he's there with these two million Jews, these Hebrews, and they're at this mountain. God speaks to him, and this this is the conversation. I want you to really pay attention to what he says, because you're going to be astounded if you haven't read this before. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. So here they are, 11 days, a total of 11 days camping in front of this mountain. You ever gone camping? And it's just you're there, it's hot, and you're in the sun. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, listen to this, This is where God begins. Now, whenever we think about God speaking to us as a Christian, God will always begin with what he's done in your life. Uh, We we had a Bible study this past week in my house, and we were just thinking about what has God done in your life? Have you heard the voice of God? And some of us had different different, um, testimonies of what God did and what doors God opened and what doors God closed. And... And here God begins, thus say to the house of Jacob, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is where God begins. If God wants to speak to you and I, he always begins with what he did in your life, the power that he did, his faithfulness. He said, I will, 
I will, you saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Wow, what tender words, huh? I bore you up on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. And this is really what God is saying to Israel here. I brought you up out of Egypt on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself here at this mountain. And God is talking about the importance of this meeting place at Sinai. God is meeting with his people. And so what does this mean? Well, to, um, for an eagle to bear up its young on its wings means that when a little eaglet, is that how you call a baby eagle, an eaglet? When they're a little small and they're ready to start to learn how to fly, you know what the, you know what the, the mother eagle does? It kicks them out of the nest. And their nests are really high. Sometimes they're on the side of the mountain, on the side of a cliff. And you'll see, like, you know, you see these little eaglets just tumbling through the air. And, and the mother's just like, I want you to kick them out of the nest. That's where we get that phrase from in English, to get kicked out of the nest. Like, Austin's going to get kicked out of the nest. <laughs> Starts tumbling down in the air. And then what happens is that the eagle, the mother eagle sees, okay, um, soars down and then catches its young on, the e- on, the, on its wing and then takes it back up in the air and does the same thing again. And it keeps doing it until the little eaglet learns how to fly. That little eaglet never hits the ground. It never hits the ground. It never dies because the, the faithfulness and the love and the power of that eagle swoops down and catches that little eaglet. And this is what God is saying to Israel. He says, God said to Israel, I kicked you out of the nest of Egypt. And now, you're, now sometimes you feel like you're tumbling. You're out of control. You don't feel like there's any bottom. But I will catch you every time. This describes a very intimate relationship, doesn't it? Of the faithfulness of God. That God's, and I think that there are many, many times where God has kicked us out of the nest. And we never hit the bottom. But we didn't even realize that it was the eagle's wings of God that, that caught us. I think there's many types of things that we could have fallen into that were destructive in our life that we never fell into because we were caught by the eagle's wings of God's grace. And he says here, I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. Isn't that beautiful, that relationship that God has with Israel? And this is what he says to the church. This is what he says to the believer. I bore you up and brought you to myself. Where we are today, whatever place we are in our life, we're here because God brought us here. And we're in Texas because God brought us here. You're in Texas because God brought you here. I mean, maybe you were born in Texas and you're wondering why are they always talking about Texas. Um, we were, we've been brought here by God's eagle's wings. And then he says, um, verse 5, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice. And I want to stop there for a second. Obey. See that word Obey. There's some words in our Christian language, when we hear them, we're like, we cringe a little bit. We're like, oh, obey, you know? Like, or obey, yeah, I gotta obey, you know? And the English language is not as rich as Hebrew, and it's not as rich as Greek. So what happens is, is sometimes when we get a word in the English language, like obey, or something like that, or repent, uh, we miss some of the deeper meaning. Obey here... For our minds, and remember, our minds, we're fallen sinners. We, have, we are sinners by nature. 
uh, we have that underlying sense of guilt and shame in our life that unless we're quickened by the Holy Spirit and the word of grace, we're going to be living in this sense of, of failure and, and, uh, and guilt. And when we read a word like that, we get like, okay, I obey. But in the Hebrew language here, this word is shama, or to guard, or to listen. God is talking about, first he starts with his faithfulness, and then he goes right into obey, which means just hear my voice. This is what God is saying here to the Israelites. Just hear my voice. Listen to my voice. And I don't know about you, but are there people in your life that maybe you don't have contact with anymore, and you can, you can, you can remember the sound of their voice? Like, my mom is in heaven, and I can still remember what she sounded like. You know, we think of these very precious voices in our lives that are so important to us, and we can remember their voice. And so God is saying, guard my voice. Guard the promises. Don't forget my faithfulness when you guys were in Egypt and I took you out of Egypt. Guard that. Guard my voice. And then he says, and keep my covenant. This is another word that sometimes we get a little messed up on. You know, the voice of God is always a voice of grace and encouragement and edification. The voice of the devil is always a voice of destruction and tearing down and does not build us up. So just remember that. Next time you're listening to a voice in your head and it's not a voice of edification and not a voice about the promises and the ability of God, then just cast it down because that's not the voice of God. Covenant of God here is another word that gets us sometimes um, a little twisted around because we think covenant, like, okay, what I'm supposed to do for God, my covenant to God, that's not what God is saying. God is saying, my covenant, the covenant that I, God, made with you when you were sinners, when you were failures, when you were without strength in Romans chapter 5, when you were enemies of God. It says in Romans chapter 5 that when we were enemies without strength and dead in our sins, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing where our Christianity starts, where our faith starts? It doesn't start with my covenant to God. God, I promise you, or I devote to you. I mean, we can respond to God's love and say, God, I want to give you my whole life because you've just been so amazingly gracious to me. Hudson Taylor, that amazing missionary to China, um, as a young person, as an 18-year-old, had such a revelation of the grace of God in his life it says that he was renting out a little apartment when he was going to school. And it says that he just spread himself out on the floor before the Lord and just worshiped the Lord and said, God, I want to give you my whole life because you've been so gracious to me. That's the proper response. It's not like, God, i got to do this for you so that you can be happy with me. God here is already saying, I'm already happy with you. I already am faithful to you. I'm bearing you up on the eagle's wings, and I'm bringing you to myself. And that's the plan. That's the part of God's plan in every aspect of our life. When we think about things that happen to us, we just remember this God wants to bring me to himself in this situation. He wants me to know him. And it says, if you, if you guard my voice and remember my voice, and you just stay in the covenant that I made, and how do we do that? It's just the finished work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, it is finished, we just got to let God quicken us every morning that, you know, when I wake up in the morning, it's finished in my life. There's not one more thing that I can do in my life to make God happier. 
God is already pleased with me because of Jesus Christ. I don't need to produce or achieve or make for God to be happier because we, that's called deficit motivation. And he says, if you keep my covenant, and sometimes in our memory, I've put, in my mind, I've put commandment there. I don't know, sometimes we remember verses, we put words in there that are not there. Then it says, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. Why? Because when we understand that God is speaking to us and that God has made a covenant with us, there's something very unique in our life that begins to happen, isn't it? That, that God begins to lead us in his special plan for all the earth is mine. God is saying to Israel, I want to make you a great nation. I want to do something wonderful and I want to reveal to you, to the world, to this nation, how, um, how mighty I am. And you shall be, in verse 6, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And just think about how God is so patient with Israel. God is leading Israel through the wilderness. And he's talking to them and wooing them and encouraging them, drawing them and loving them. And Israel is kind of like not getting it. Israel is a good picture, I think, sometimes of the church, that there's these cycles that we're, sometimes we're not getting what God says in our personal life. We miss things. And God has to go take us over and over and over sometimes to show us things. And just think of God's patience. There's a um, Japanese theologian that I was reading this week, and it really spoke to me what he said. And I kind of... I want to just read to you what he said. I don't agree with all of his theology, but the point he makes is very good. He wrote a book called The Three Mile an Hour God, meaning that God moves. And I just want to read to you um, a few things that he said. But first understand this, that God works very slowly with us. God's educational process with us is very slow. For example, 40 years in the wilderness, um, 40 years of natural migration, uh, and then three generations of the monarchy, David, uh, Saul, David, and Samuel. Then there's the 19 kings of Israel up to 70, 722 B.C. And the 20 kings of Judah up to 587 B.C. The hosts of the prophets and the priests. And then the experience of the exile and restoration of Israel. And the question is posed, isn't this a slow process? Isn't this a costly process? Isn't this something that uh, God wouldn't, couldn't you speed the process up a little bit in my life or somebody else's life? The answer is, is that, and I'm going to read this to you, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. When we read the word love here, we're talking about God's love. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. Now, this was written in 1979 by this guy, or maybe even earlier. Yeah, about 79. He's talking about technological speed. Think about what it would be like for him today to be writing this. Because the speed of technology, you can have instant push notifications of emails and text messages. God is working at another speed. It is slow, yet it is the Lord over all other speeds since it's the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit 
by storm or not at three miles an hour. Why three miles an hour? Because that's the walking speed. I remember Pastor Schaller was doing a uh, conference for pastors in, in Baltimore, and we were just discussing, and he just said to us, he said, we were talking about counseling and understanding people, and he said, when you walk with someone, how fast are you walking? I thought about that. I like to walk fast. You know, I like you know, to get places. And, and you know, when we're walking with people, God walked at the speed of the Israelites in the, in the wilderness. That's why it took 40 years. God wasn't punishing them or delaying them. That was just their speed. God has a speed. We have a speed. And sometimes we want to really speed people up in their spiritual growth and get the ball rolling. But you know something? God works in sometimes 40-year increments. Jesus, before he had started his ministry, was for how long working with his dad? 30 years. He was in a business for 30 years. And then he ministered for three years. It's like 90% of our life is preparation. 10% of it actually may be actually production. I want to finish with this. Verse 7 of this, of this chapter. Um, I just want to finish with this. What is the result of that conversation? Moses goes and tells the people about God's faithfulness. They're at this mountain. They're there for 11, 11 days. They're talking. And then Moses comes in verse 7 and, and called for the elders of the people, all the leaders of the people. He calls for them, gets them all together by this mountain, and, and says, laid before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered and said, and this is what everybody's response is, okay? And this is natural response. This is what all of Israel said after God's testimony, God, God's faithfulness, God's word about how he was faithful. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. <laughs> wow, it's like, think about that for a minute. Like, okay, God just said, this is what I'm doing for you. And then Israel should have said, just instead of saying, thank you, praise you, God, for all that you've done, they say, you know what? We feel, God, you just put us in debt. Now we've got to just do all this stuff for you. That was the wrong response. That was the natural response. Remember, this is before the Ten Commandments were given. This is the age of the promise, the patriarchs. This is not when the age of the law had started yet. This is moments before God gives the law. I think, it's my theory, that God was not wanting to give the Ten Commandments. He wanted to have this relationship with Israel the way it was, God's faithfulness ministering to Israel. But yet Israel could not, could not process the grace and the faithfulness of God. God. Israel could not. Israel thought, you know what? We are righteous enough to serve you, God. We can do it. <laughs> Let us do it. The same mentality that Cain had. Isn't this crazy? And, and Israel says, we all together, not just the elders, but everybody says, we will serve God. Remember, this is what Israel said to Joshua later on. We will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, guys, in case you didn't remember, Joshua said, you cannot serve the Lord. What does that mean? It just means that the level of, of righteousness that God requires from an individual cannot be produced. It can only be done through Jesus Christ. God is perfect. We are sinners. God had to send his son. And so what did God have to do? What does God do? The whole relationship changes. 
everything turns at the next verse here. It says here that um, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brings back the words of the people to the Lord. And verse 9, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud. Wow, what a different appearance. God was speaking to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. But now he's in a thick cloud. You can't see anything. Why? Because when a relationship with God becomes something that's based on performance, everything gets muddled. There's no clarity. Is it God? Does God love me or does God not love me? Am I doing good today or did I sin and am I rejected? The Lord said, I come to you in a thick cloud and that the people, that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. This is one of the saddest verses. And we're going to close with this. This is one of the saddest verses of this history in Israel because here God wanted to have this intimate relationship of communion and fellowship and kicking us out in faith adventures and letting us tumble through the air and then catching us just before we hit the ground. You know, what an exciting life of faith and grace and power. But here Israel's like, nope, we are going to just, we are going to go into serve mode. We're going to go start working in work mode and we're going to please God. And we're going to pay him back for all that he did. God's like, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for this intimate relationship. And God's like, now, and, and let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. I'm just going to finish with this verse here. God's like, now I got to go into another mode. I got to, I got to lay down the law. I got to lay down the law now. And why does God have to lay down the law? Because the purpose, and Paul explains this in the book of Galatians, this is one of the most amazing books of the Bible, and it's one of the least books preached in churches. I don't know why, but this is an amazing book. The law was given so that, and it's like, um, this is all like three verses all in one verse, but um, therefore, and right here, therefore the law was our tutor, or in the King James it says schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ. What does that mean? It just means that the law was given to prove to us that we can't obey the law. <laughs> God just gave us the law to prove to the, not us, not to the Gentiles, but to the Israelites. God gives them the law to prove to them, there is no way that you can be perfectly good, that you do all the Ten Commandments. And then at the time of Jesus, hundreds and hundreds of other laws were added. And so Jesus comes, fulfills the law in Romans chapter 10, because there is no way that we can fulfill it. We, what's the purpose of the law? Not to say, I did it, because that's impossible. The purpose of the law is for us to come to a point and say, God, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm a sinner. Okay, and the sooner that we learn to do that, the sooner we learn to say, God, I am a sinner, and that you love me, you, you bore me up with wings of eagle, then we get out of that relationship of performance with God, and we, we begin to enjoy the faithfulness of God in our life. I just want to finish with that, that, God said to Israel, he said, if you obey my voice, and that's the Holy Spirit and the word of God, if you're focusing on that, then I'm going to make you great and special. And that's what we're looking for today. That's what life really is with God when we hear his voice and we focus on his covenant because anything else is just performance and failure and just misery. And that's why I think so many men, just men in general, you know, men are pragmatics. They, we, we just, if we can't do it if it's not real. And if it's not real, then we can't do it. And that's why you see so many, when the legalism or the law prevails, you're just going to see men checking out. You're just going to see men not 
wanting to get into leadership. You're going to see men saying, you know, I can't do this. Because men, men need, and all of us, need, we need grace. We need to be built up in the grace of God. The grace of God says it's finished. You are complete in him. And just meet God at the mount. And you know what happens with that mountain? We read later that that mountain, God says to Moses, draw boundaries around the mountain. Because the mountain, which was the place of meeting and intimacy with God, now becomes a place that's cordoned off. Don't let any of the people come on this mountain unless they see me. And, and then the, it says the mountain began to quake and there was smoke and fire. And if there was anyone that would go on the mountain, they would have to be immediately killed. Because God said, you don't understand a relationship with me by grace, so we have to go into the law. And until you understand your sinners and you, that you cannot fulfill the whole law, there's just no way we can communicate. There's no level of communication. And so God wants us to get out of that perfectionist mode and not for us to live in permanent failure, but to understand that we are special. When we understand that we are special and that we are amazing, we don't go for the fast food of the world, fast foods, uh, just trash of the world, because the end of that is just so destructive and just, just so much sadness and regret and, and damage in the soul. We want to hear God's voice. and just We're going to get kicked out of the nest and just have faith faith adventures with God. We got kicked out of the nest in Philadelphia and came down here. We're like tumbling through the air right now, you know. It's like, okay, God, catch us, you know. We're caught. We're good. But but uh, it's just such a... I sat down with one other church planter, and he and I are both the same age. We're both 50. And we're sitting at our Starbucks. And we're just talking. He goes, he goes, either we're out of our minds, insane, or this is really the will of God. <laughs> he goes... He was telling me how he was planting churches and starting. He kept, we keep starting over and over and over. And he goes, either we're out of our minds or we're really doing the will of God. And so I just want to choose the second part. We're doing the will of God <laughs> by faith. And God's going to lead us to himself. Amen? Amen. So let's just close in a word of prayer. And Sarah's going to come up and we're going to do the offering together. Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you finished the work that the law was given so that we would know that we need Christ. Oh my gosh, I need, when I read the Ten Commandments, I'm like, oh, I need God. <laughs> I need God so much in my life. Not to make me do better, but just to look at the finished work. We just thank you when Paul had that revelation in Romans chapter 7. Oh, such a sinner I am. Wretched sinner, wretched sinner that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then the following verses in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, I thank God that there is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation today. And that's what brings us to repentance and conversion. That's what brings us to a place of change. When we see that God is not condemning us and we can draw near to him. And Lord, we want to do that in our lives. Maybe there's an area of our life that we're really trying to perform in and we're failing. Or maybe we're failing and we feel like we need to really perform. Just come to God and follow Jesus because following Jesus means we just get occupied with him. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We love that because we just follow him and he makes us everything that we're supposed to be. When we're fighting things or when we are discouraged or when we get intimidated by just the, the greatness of the task before us, all we need to do is just follow Jesus and he makes us everything that we're supposed to be 
And Lord, we just want to trust you for that this morning. We want to follow you. We want to follow you through this summer and these next months that are before us. And just thank you and just praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So just before we sing, maybe a couple words I can say before we actually pass the offering bucket around. Um, so this summer we have, um, it's going to be kind of just a kind of informal, fun, relaxing time. We'll be connecting. And then in the fall, um, I'd like to, we could start a Bible class here. And when people start getting into their fall schedules, we just start having events and classes where we are just kind of compacting together and getting our toolbox sharpened, getting our uh, getting tools and getting equipped for things. And as people begin to come back from vacation, uh, looking forward to uh, some fun some fun outreaches. We can discuss that a little bit later. But this week at Sean's house, I mean, I think we all know this, we're going to be meeting uh, at 7 o'clock. That's Wednesday, right? And we'll be having a Bible study and prayer there. So um, just come and join us. We'll just have a time of prayer and the word, okay? And then Saturday, yeah, we have the trip to Galveston. That'll be fun. And today after church, you guys are invited to our house for a little pool party and barbecue. All right? Okay, so Lord bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.